0: This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leads
1: Art Week. Cutting the court is not new. It's just getting more popular as companies such as Netflix and Hulu, which have each been around for more than a decade, continue to rise. But as consumers continue ditching traditional broadcasting platforms with more frequency brands are being forced to find new ways to reach their audience. And one way they are doing that is through connected media devices and CTV. Unlike traditional broadcast platforms, which offer a limited amount of commercial inventory per show, CTV is providing brands more flexibility and thus more opportunity. When you think about what's possible in this new
2: digitized version of tv when you think about the fact that more and more consumers are cutting the cord shifting to connected it allows you to secure more reach than ever has been available before through connected television and online video inventory but it also allows you to be more specific
1: and more targeted in terms of how you buy that inventory but how brands distribute to platforms and reach their target audience is the challenging part. Stephanie Gino, the Senior Vice President of Marketing at Innovit, is here to help. Innovit is an online advertising technology company that offers distribution and management of digital ads. And on this episode of Marketing Trends, Stephanie dives into how the company is harnessing CTV to change the ad game. Plus, she discusses the best practices for targeted advertising and why personalization is a great tool if you can get past its downsides, enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at Salesforce.com/slash marketing.
3: Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by a special guest. Stephanie, how are you?
2: I'm doing well, Ian, how about yourself?
3: I am doing great. It's a great day to be talking about marketing, personalizations, video, CTV, all that fun stuff. Uh, we'll get into it. But first, how did you get started in marketing?
2: Uh, so it's interesting. I, even though I knew early on that this is what I wanted to do, it it actually took me several years to break into the industry. I've come to learn this is very much a relationship-oriented environment who you know, and the connections you make are really crucial for access to opportunity. For me, when my resume inevitably ended up as as one of hundreds in a stack pining for an entry-level marketing position, I turned to another field and and actually got my start in corporate America working in human resources. It wasn't until about 3 years later, when I had a colleague transition to a media agency that I, I finally got my foot in the door Since then, I've had the experience of working across a variety of companies, starting with the media agency side of the business, then transitioning to a creative agency. I launched a consulting firm where I partnered directly with brands to audit and architect marketing technology stacks. And now I'm I'm in the business of marketing marketing technology. I've operated in a variety of roles in my 15-plus now years in the advertising world, I got my start in sales. I then migrated to product management and, and ultimately found, found my sweet spot in the strategy and communication side of the business.
3: You know, it's so funny I, I, when, you, when you said... MarTech is like, I didn't even think of Innovit as, as a MarTech kind of vendor because of the way uh, that you all work, but it's I, obviously you are, but it's just funny. Sometimes we we kind of <laughs> like the way that MarTech is, is so big now that uh, that a solution as uh, as cool as yours, um, the marketing solutions that you have, it's just funny to think of it like that. So for our listeners who yeah. don't know, can you share a little bit more about Innovit?
2: Yeah, sure. So, you know, as I mentioned, I'm I'm currently the global marketing lead for Innovid. So we are an independent marketing technology platform that powers consolidated ad serving, personalization, and advanced measurement for for leading global brands. I I was really drawn to this company. You know, as I mentioned, I I did do consulting and evaluated technology companies before I came here. And what I love about InnoVit is, you know, first these days, marketing and technology go hand in hand. And this is a company that has a, a deep heritage and foundation in developing tools and technology that help marketers truly take advantage of what is now possible in the video and CTV space. We currently serve approximately a third of all video ads and over 50% of all CTV video ads Within the United States, and we have omni channel capabilities across CTV, video, display, audio, and, and more available around the world.
3: Yeah, so, so let's dive into that a little bit, because uh, a, it's a massive number that you all work with. So, what, what types of companies are you working with? What types of companies are on your platform? I'd imagine that there's a ton. Is it big? Is it small?
2: Yeah, we typically work with enterprise advertisers that have a huge focus on TV. You know, over the years, our solution sets and the, the channels and devices we have been supporting on behalf of our advertisers have expanded and grown. But there's one, one thing that's consistent if TV, if video are a central part of your strategy, you want to work with a platform that excels there because, frankly, that's what matters most for your business. So we do work with, you know, many of the top 200 TV advertisers are on our platform. Um, we're also starting to see a, a new big sector for us are the the direct-to-consumer brands. Um, you know, a lot of these brands typically have not, they're not coming from the same place as many of our other clients and that they're used to linear TV, but they're they're very savvy and they're very sophisticated in terms of how they think about streaming, how they think about digital, and how they think about driving reach through addressable channels. So definitely our our Foundation and the majority of clients we've worked with historically are those major enterprise big TV spenders. Um, but more and more, we're starting to see more of these digital natives come into our platform as well because they understand that you know display has a role in a, a larger ecosystem. But you know the reality is it is it is much more easy to excel in display video is complex and it's getting more complicated as the days go by and the streaming wars continue and create more world gardens and more fragmentation and and also more potential and possibility. So we've got a a really nice mix of of large established as well as smaller savvy brands working with us these days.
3: That's so cool to hear. I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, really kind of started democratizing marketing so that you know, smaller players could, could play with the, the big kids, you know, was video was, was things um, like that because, you know, historically video, I mean, we all know that video ads, uh, this is a sweeping generalization, but we generally know that video ads perform the best because they're the most engaging. Um, but they're extremely expensive. And if you're trying to reach a massive audience, then they're very, very, very expensive because you're actually trying to get, you know, share a mind. When we have, you know, David Marine from Coldwell Banker, he wants to reach a large percentage of people at one period of time around a certain event or a thing like that. You know, for example, that is a much different play than, you know, someone who has a company uh, that is trying to, you know, reach potentially the same group of people. But, doesn't need them all to think about it at the same time. So um, I, I'm curious, like, how do, the, how do the smaller players get some advantages there or, uh, or not just advantage, but just access in general?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that the beauty of more television consumption moving to streaming or over-the-top environments is that it does create greater access and opportunity for all. Right. Not everyone can purchase those big TV spots and and work with broadcast networks. It's it's an issue of budget. It's an issue of scale and effectiveness. Um, We've also seen a lot of times these smaller partners, right? You know, I always use the example: if you're selling deodorant, your audience is everyone, right? Everybody has armpits. So we want to reach the entire universe. As we start to think about some of these smaller, more niche companies you know, you may say, hey, I only want to target music lovers. And so the the proposition of doing a traditional broadcast linear TV by doesn't make a ton of sense. But when you think about what's possible in this new digitized version of TV, when you think about the fact that more and more consumers are cutting the cord, shifting to connected, it allows you to secure more reach than ever has been available before through connected television and online video inventory. But it also allows you to be more specific and more targeted in terms of of how you buy that inventory. And and that can come to life in a couple of different ways, right? You can go directly to these networks and these providers that now have a a ton of inventory that's available uh, over the top, and you can negotiate with them the various audiences that you want to target. Another huge trend that we're seeing is a surge in programmatic buying and that really becoming the norm where you're now able to get hyper-targeted, hyper-granular, and also really efficient as it relates to CPMs to determine not necessarily where I want to reach these audiences, but this is an audience that I want to reach. Um, and you now have a, an infrastructure in place from a technology perspective to find those individuals. And then more importantly, you know, another big value of TV becoming more addressable is also starting to tap into a lot of the great work and progress we've seen as it relates to creativity and personalization online being translated to, to the big screen. What, what's
3: kind of the state of, of, of CTV? Like for, for those of our listeners who don't know, can you kind of give, give CTV 101 and, and then kind of where we're at?
2: Yeah. So CTV, it's, it's been, it's interesting because we've been talking about the hypergrowth of CTV for years now, but we saw an inflection point in 2020 that I don't think anyone could have predicted, you know, March, April, the whole world was reeling from the COVID pandemic, uh, the impact that had on our society and um, the implications as it related to a series of stay-at-home orders being implemented around the world and around the globe. And what we saw was that as people were no longer allowed to go out into the market and no longer allowed to, you know, really leave their homes, that there was a huge increase and a huge spike in content consumption. And the majority of that was shifting into connected television. Uh, So, you know, A, People are at home and they're bored, so they're watching more TV, no surprise. But what also really drove the, the growth in connected television was you combine that isolation and being forced to stay at home with the fact that, you know, and un- unemployment rates were higher than they've been in decades. And so there was also the need for people to be more thoughtful about how they were spending their money. And so a lot, of, a lot of people at that time took a look at their personal household expenses and said, hey, you know, I'm paying hundreds of dollars a month for a linear TV subscription. Now is the time for me to cut the cord. And so not only were more people just in general watching TV, but we saw more people migrating the TV that they were watching through broadcast and cable um, and switching that over to, to watching that same content through a streaming provider. Also, you know, live sports, huge, huge reason why so many people continued to have those cable subscriptions and and when live sports got paused and and in many cases canceled, it was just another reason for people to reassess how and why and where they were watching content. Um, so that's that's what drove a lot of the growth. Um, just in terms of of what do I mean when I say CTV, you know, there's kind of the traditional way of of television buying. A lot of us have cable subscriptions where you know we have to call a provider, they come to our house, they wire, you plug your TV in, and that's how you're used to being able to log in and look at channels and consume content. Um, Over the top is, is basically where, in many cases, that exact same content that you're able to source and view through your cable subscriber is now available to you. Um, But rather than that content being delivered through that traditional cable infrastructure, that content is now being streamed to you over the top. So you hear a lot of people refer to the term OTT. OTT is, is the mechanism for how content is delivered. CTV refers to where that content is consumed. So... Content can be delivered over the top on a connected television, on a mobile device, or on a desktop device. Um, when I say CTV, I'm really referring to the shift that's happened in terms of people consuming more content on the big screen in their home through a different delivery mechanism than what we've traditionally seen in the marketplace.
3: Yeah. So, so you're talking, you know, like I, like my family, we have. We have YouTube TV. We have uh, we have Hulu. We have you know Amazon Prime. We have uh, you know I mean I literally have everything. But um,
2: same same. uh, uh, You know (laughs) yes, that's exactly it. You know we we use Hulu Live TV. So you know before we had a cable subscription, and when we wanted to watch live TV, you know we logged in, and that was how we watched that TV. Now you know we log into our Hulu subscription and we go to the live TV tab, and we're seeing the exact same content and the exact same programming. so from a, a, a typical end consumer perspective, the you, the experience is is the same, right? I still have access to that content um, from an advertiser's perspective though it's a very very different way of planning, a very different way of buying and a very uh, different way of 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 delivering because it allows you to do more than what is possible in that traditional broadcast universe where it's, it's one-to-one. You know, we now understand, hey, Stephanie has logged into Hulu Live TV, and I know things about her, or um, there's additional data that we can layer in. And it just it allows you to, to get more specific and more refined in terms of what you're saying and, and how you're messaging to individuals. Based on how they're consuming that content, they've always come to love and and look at.
3: Yeah, we're we're gonna get we're gonna talk personalization here in a second, um, and 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 get deeper into that. But just to continue the thread on on the strategic level, like this is the future, right? Like this is what I mean. It's only going to get better and better and better than this, right? And so it seems like marketers will have much more. Opportunity and flexibility, but also complexity as it relates to advertising. Like you said, by device, by um, you know serving different ads for the, for a mobile device versus a TV. You know, all of those different things uh, are going to have. We're going to have infinitely more options. Uh, obviously, that's why you have a partner like Invid. But um, but it, it just seems like there's no way that we're not going to have more sophistication than than ever before going forward. So then how do how should marketers be thinking about this and respond?
2: Yeah, so it there's definitely a ton of upside and opportunity, but to your point, there's also a lot of complexity. And Everyone is gravitating towards the streaming universe right now. There's a lot of buzz. There's a lot of conversation in the marketplace about the streaming wars. We're starting to see traditional big media partners move more and more aggressively into this space. And so you know even to the point of, of you and I comparing the number of subscriptions we have, you know we're now in a scenario where consumers have multiple subscriptions, you know and and it creates complexity in that The the marketplace has been, you know, bemoaning the challenges of walled gardens for years now. We're now seeing an increasing number of new walled gardens popping up within the CTV universe. And so what historically may have been, okay, I don't have access into these social platforms or these large partners now becomes, okay, TV is migrating over to this new universe, and I now need to buy television advertising across 12 different providers and 12 different networks. And it becomes increasingly important to think about how do I connect the dots across all of these new marketplaces that are popping up? How do I make sure that I'm thinking about a universal currency For analyzing and measuring all of my digital ads, right, TV has historically been measured based on GRPs. So that's not a a metric. That's not a metric that exists in the the digital world, in the digital space. So we're also starting to see, A, who, who are the partners, who are the platforms, who are the providers that you can work with that are going to build bridges or or ladders into these new walled gardens and allow you to get that full 360 degree view of the universe. But then more importantly, once you have access, how do you create a universal metric that allows you to have a, a baseline of comparison across all of these, these disparate systems? So you as an advertiser can start to think about, macro effectiveness and macro efficiency across your buys um, and optimize accordingly because we still live in a universe where dollars and budgets are finite. And uh, it's important for us to be able to make those comparisons and, and be informed enough to make smart decisions that are going to drive our business forward.
3: I love it. This is awesome. Um, Stephanie, this is, this is great stuff because I think that um, you're exactly right. You nailed it on the head. A lot of the old metrics are going out and it's funny because, like the the quote unquote "growth marketing people or growth hacker people or, or just you know the digital acquisition spenders that have that have spent so much time and effort optimizing on various different channels that they 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 were never even, you know, playing in this world ever because they couldn't track any of it, right? And so now you open this world to them, uh, first and foremost, which is huge what are some what are some best practices here that you've seen? and maybe now it's it's a good time to talk personalization uh, and and how we can really dive into the actual people who are who are watching uh, in a way that we we've just never been able to to figure out who those people are
2: yeah, and and really quickly because you just said something really interesting and and I'd love to build off of that before we jump into personalization. You know you're you're absolutely right, right. Measurement we need to think about universal measurements and there's a lot of companies and I've it included that are are doing some great work here. Um, but I don't want to I don't want to dismiss linear TV entirely. Right? Uh, the marketplace is moving, viewership is moving, but there's still a ton of volume in linear TV. So I would say as you think about measurement, yes, you need to unify and think about how can you create universal metrics that will allow you to make those comparisons. But it's also important to think about how can I, knowing that linear TV isn't disappearing tomorrow, and it's still for many, many advertisers, especially the, the enterprise global brands that we work with, going to play a, 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 an important role for the, the near future... Uh, I'd also just recommend that we think about not only how do we reimagine metrics and measurement within these new digitally enabled channels, but also thinking about how do we create a new currency for linear TV? And how do we start to think about TV as one channel and start to connect the dots between linear and connected television? And, um, you know, there's a, a partnership we launch with Roku to to manage just that and I think we're getting closer closer every single day.
3: That's a great that's a great point. I totally agree linear TV is going absolutely nowhere uh, in the short term. What I think is the interesting part about how you invest in linear TV is when you have opportunities to track everything. And there's certain marketers And it depends on your team and your leadership and how you look at things. There are certain marketers that will not invest a dollar unless unless they can track it. And obviously there's models and things to track uh, linear TV spend. But at the same time, like that is predominantly why, you know, certain places. I mean, you see like B2B software, like there's there's not a lot of TV ads that spent that way because it just doesn't fuel the go to market motion for that. Type of a product and that sales strategy in a lot of cases, uh, you see branding, but you don't see you know brand plays, but you don't see more targeted stuff. Um, you just have to be a little bit more savvy, and uh, and that's what you know. That's why on linear TV we see a lot of CPG, right? It's just yeah, those are the easier things to you know one size fits all. You know, make sure that you're getting the most reach. Uh, and the most mind share at a given point in time. Um, and if this trend continues and linear s- continues to change, and all of that stuff is now up for grabs, that would be like beyond fascinating.
2: Yeah. And one of the really important things when we think about CTV, right, going back, you and I both rattled off five, six different subscriptions that we have. So even when you think about driving reach within the connected TV universe, it's also about unique reach, right? Like, am I just hitting Stephanie 80 80 times because she's logged in through different spaces? Or is the reach that I'm driving through the partner's Um, And the inventory that I'm buying actually unique reach. So we've got an amazing measurement team that is really honing in on this. Um, We're actually conducting a study right now with the ANA, where we're partnering with brands to run CTV inventory across multiple partners. And then we're providing them with analysis on the back end that allows us to look at, okay... What was your total reach on a publisher by publisher basis? If we look at the cross intersection of various publishers on your plan, how much overlap is there? Um, What's the frequency that you're driving and ultimately backing into a new metric of unique cost uh, or cost per unique reach, um, which is then allowing us to work with brands to start to optimize their buys to say... You know, it's not about total reach; it's about unique reach, and making sure that I'm thinking about unique reach in the context of frequency. Because if I think about it from a uh, the lens of totality, frequencies is completely out the door.
3: Yeah, I mean that's the big problem, right? Like we get served the same ads on CTV right now all the time, over and over and over again. And even I, they're 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 my favorite. They're my favorite person to pick on here, uh, mm-hmm. and I like ESPN, but. I still, to this day, I've been complaining about this for six years. ESPN ads somehow, and I don't know how this is freaking possible. They still have the cut screen when they don't have any ads to serve that says, we'll be back in a minute. And it's like, you have literally so much programming that you could be promoting and you're doing a cut screen that says, we'll be right back. Like, How is that possible? (laughs)
2: I've seen that too. It feels like a, a bit of a missed opportunity to, you know, run a house ad, run a run a pro bono spot would be, uh, you know, my it's recommendation wild. there.
3: I mean, <laughs> yeah. but it's but see, those are the things that like that's the canary in the coal coal mine to me. When I see those things, where it's like clearly their strategy is is extremely flawed because of that. I'm not saying like ESPN makes tons of money and they're owned by Disney, so like they're fine. But my point being is like. That's That just shows, it's like, if you can't figure out that one simple fix of like, how much wasted inventory do we have that we're not going to put a house ad on? Uh, I just like, it just seems to me like how, then clearly you're not, yeah, again, I'm not picking, I mean, I am, but but it's just more like if you're a marketer that is in that same exact spot and you're, you're running that, ex, or a, a, I guess you wouldn't be a marketer, but a platform that has that same type of thing, like, those are the opportunities that are out there right and left, not to mention like you know you and I getting the the same ad served to us you know every single ad when we binge binge mode you know forty episodes of shit's Creek or something like that and you get the same exact ad served to you every single commercial break like that is not that there's opportunity there and there's there's leverage there
2: absolutely and that's that's another big focus you know reach I, I hit on reach because it's it's so important, but frequency is the other side of that coin. And, you know, again, it's about looking at the combination of reach and frequency and understanding what partners and what publishers are, are driving what, and then using that, that detailed analysis and that detailed understanding to go back and, and uh, reconfigure excuse me, your, your buys moving forward.
3: So personalization, um, this is like, you know, we, we've been chasing this for a long time. If we can get better personalization for video, it's—I mean, it's, it's probably one of the biggest innovations for for marketing in—I don't know—fifty years. How, how, where are we at?
2: We're in a really great place. Um, you know, it's interesting. We we lovingly dubbed 2020 the beginning of a, a new era of personalization. We we kicked off the year with more momentum around personalized ad adoption than I've ever seen in the past. You know, at Invid, we we actually saw that nearly half, so it was forty nine percent to be exact, of the hundreds of advertisers who serve ads through our platform were leveraging advanced creative formats, and that's that's a combination of interactive and data driven personalized ads. And you know, w- when we think about personalization, you know, there's there's a, a huge promise that's always existed in the market, which is the promise of relevance. Right? If I can be more relevant. I can break through, I can drive greater engagement, and ultimately, uh, you know, my consumers and my prospects will love me more. And that's, that's definitely still holds true. And that's, that's definitely something that we're seeing, you know, in, in our benchmarks for 2020, when we looked at just personalized ads for advanced video versus standard pre-roll ads, we saw a 335% lift in engagement. Um, So it's huge, right? Brands are taking notice and they're interacting accordingly. The the other big boon and big benefit that we've seen um, more from the marketer side in 2020 is that, you know, yes, personalization creates greater relevance, but it also creates greater agility in terms of your ability to manage and optimize your messages, And and this became really critical, and it became a more important part of the strategy for many brands in the height of COVID, right? Stay-at-home orders were changing on a daily basis, by geography, by region. And it was really hard to be able to understand at any given moment, in any given place, what was the message that you could communicate to brands? You know, if if I'm an automaker, are my dealerships open or are they closed? Is my service center open? Um, but my dealership closed. And, and there were just all of these little nuances that were changing all the time. And so we saw more brands starting to tap into personalization and tap into leveraging dynamic ads because it allowed them to create a really flexible infrastructure and template for, you know, beautiful look and feel, beautiful branding. But I now have the ability to change the message, change the imagery, change the call to action in real time without having to pause, without having to retraffic. Um, in many instances, tapping into APIs that allowed us to just do it seamlessly, and it, it created an. Ecosystem where they could not only create greater relevance, but also have continuity in terms of what they were saying um, and just stay present and stay top of mind in front of their customers. And so that was that was something that really took off last year. And you know we've got a lot of great workflows and integrations in place to support that. And you know we're seeing that that need for greater agility. I right, talk a lot to brands, and that is probably the the word of the year um or maybe the word of the back half of the year was we need greater agility we need fl- greater flexibility we need the the ease to turn on a dime and so we're seeing that come through in a really powerful way as well
3: so if i mean you're talking about 300% i mean this is like massive like mm-hmm. so we're, that's why what i'm saying like you know if the if the biggest thing to happen to marketing you know in 50 years is google and then the next biggest thing is probably facebook You know, I'd say this is maybe third, I don't know, um, envelope math there. But I mean, you're talking about like a massive undertaking in the way that creative is made and distributed and like hyper targeting different personas is now going to be completely different. I mean, if you're a car maker, why people buy a new car? you know, the one size fits all, uh, you know, ad of the, of the Toyota Tundra ripping through the desert. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying it goes away, but like it could, right. I mean, right. Like, I mean, if, or at least it could on, on, uh, on CTV or it could in other places, like that's the sort of stuff where you just think like how many consumers out there, you know, who don't know that they're getting personalized things now versus how many, uh, are, are going to be out there in the future. Like we all, you hear people talking all the time, like Alexa's listening to me or, you know, whoever mm-hmm. it is, they're listening. Uh, how do I know? It's like, yeah. Cause you search stuff all the time. Like we, <laughs> for that thing, that's how they're retargeting you. But for video, like video is a totally different opportunity. So like, how can brands prepare for this?
2: Yeah. So, uh, it's interesting and there's so many personalization means so many things to so many people and you know we have worked with brands that are extremely sophisticated and are are saying hey innovid you guys are the leaders in ctv you have 11 patents in interactive technology let's do some cool stuff together and you know we have clients where we've gone in with personalization at the center of the strategy we've shot on green screen we've created thousands of versions um and that's definitely possible right and it, and it works it works really well and we have case studies to prove it but i would say you know in general when the idea of one-to-one personalization entered the market it set off this this chain reaction of just overly complicated strategies right marketers were scrambling to map out the perfect combination of message and data and strategy to create these hyper hyper relevant experiences at the individual level And it's easy to fall down the rabbit hole of of dreaming up these niche scenarios and and lose sight of why you started personalization in the first place. Technology allows for personalization, yes. But it also also provides creative efficiency and the ability to test and learn and optimize based on what performs best. So I, I always recommend that when you're starting out, that you start with the proofs of concepts, and you know you keep your resources flexible enough to ensure that when when new things emerge because they will, that it's easy to pivot. Trying to start with the most advanced use case, it's very easy to get over your skis. And you know it's it's really just about saying what are those proven strategies, what are tried and true techniques, what can I do to get closer and closer to relevance based on who I'm talking to and then just slowly building that over time. Right? Like the the two most leveraged personalization strategies in our platform, the ones that drove that 335% engagement lift I talked about, are geotargeting and sequential messaging. Right? Simple, easy, compliant, and it doesn't have to be hard to start with that sort of an approach. And then, you know, just learn and test and optimize over time. But I do think sometimes people, there's, there's two things that happen. People are either scared of personalization because they are thinking of it as one-to-one in this massive, challenging endeavor. Um, so A, I would say it's, it's better to start small than not at all. Start with these proven strategies, start with things that are simple and easy, and then build a runway and build a roadmap to getting to greater sophistication. And then, you know, if you are a brand that's been in this space and experimenting for a while, then yeah, I mean, we're constantly... What I love about marketing is that it is an industry that's constantly reinventing itself. And, you know, almost anything is possible. So... You know, when when you're there and when you've conquered the basics, dream big, think big, and you know, work with partners that are willing to invest in the technology and the capability to make that happen. Because there is huge, huge, huge upside um, by starting to to think this way.
3: Yeah. So to to take an example, my favorite ad right now, and I think a lot of people's favorite ad in the market right now is the progressive turning into your parents ad. It's I think it's the best ad probably in, in years. Uh, I mean, you hear people talking about it like, I mean, I always say, you know, marketing is supposed to be remarkable. remarkable. So you got to talk about it to other people. You hear people actually like talking about it and their, their ads. So good job, Progressive. Um, but you take a campaign like that, hugely successful. Let's say they want to run this. They could run this for 10 years and they could do personalization based off of, the, I mean, they could they could create, A hundred different videos of these ads based off of geos, based off of all sorts of different things, all sorts of different uh, types of personas, and they could just write more and more and more and more creative. And this ad could be, I mean, like, you know, something that they could do, um, again, for a long, long time. In addition to running kind of like their their you know the linear t v the l- like large large ad spends, I mean do you think that things like that I mean we had we had a while ago uh we had a uh, lomit from uh from i m v u on here talking about how his marketing team basically they have it they have AI and then they have creative and basically their creative their creative team creates like hundreds their whole job is just creating hundreds of of different versions of creative. And then AI does the rest. Um, it's an oversimplification. But but I think that like thinking about, you know, you always talk about art versus science for marketing. But if that's what you can do with video in the future, like again, this is, it's a very different structure to even how your team should be built.
2: Yeah. And I would say that that's not the future, right? That's now. So we're, we're doing that for several brands today. Um, really cool example, Coca-Cola. So we... Um, we have a partnership in Australia with TV New Zealand and Coca-Cola, their famous share a Coke campaign, right? Everybody knows that campaign. Uh, you know, we used to love going to the grocery store and finding the Coke bottle that had your name on it and buying it and stocking your fridge. Um, and so we we worked with them and they were like, you know, we want to take this loved, well-known campaign and we wanted to bring it to life through an omni-channel video execution, and so we were able to partner with them. They have first party subscriber data, um, which allowed us to be able to say, okay, Ian's logged in. So we know this person is Ian. They then gave us, you know, we worked with them on the list of all the names. We used our rendering engine to generate hundreds of personalized videos. And then we were able to dynamically serve those. So when you were watching the ad, When, you know, the model at the end held up the Coke bottle, it actually had your name included within the Coke bottle on the video screen. So that's, you know, that's just one example. But, you know, we have clients that we work with, you know, to your point about even linear TV, you know, we're starting to see more and more brands think about, wow, this is great. And personalization is working and it's driving impact and it's driving engagement in video. But what about everything else that I do? And, There are a lot of brands that have, you know, armies of creatives that are just churning out different versions. Uh, We're starting to see more of our brands actually tapping into, you know, we've built a a rendering engine to do this for digital. We serve to 4K CTV environments. We have the ability to render versions for for broadcast quality. And so we're now starting to see more, more brands actually leveraging our rendering engine to not only develop versions that can be used to customize that experience based on various data points for connected television but they're now saying hey I want to drive production efficiencies and I want to have consistency in terms of exactly what I'm putting out in market across connected TV linear TV out of home you name it and so we're also using that engine now as a creative production arm to enable advertisers to take those assets and then traffic them through their traditional uh, traditional broadcast buys as well.
3: I love that example. That's great. Any, any other things or, or campaigns that you've seen that you've been particularly fond of?
2: Oh man, we've done so much cool stuff lately. Um, we're, we're, we're lucky to work with really big brands that have big ideas. Um, something really cool that I think builds off of, of the point you were making earlier as well was a, an execution we did Um, with CBS Interactive and Kellogg's. It was during Super Bowl 53, so 2019, where we worked with them to create uh, an addressable creative with shoppable engagement. So viewers could interact with a dynamic unit that personalized the ad by including your city name. So, hey, Chicago, hey, New York. Uh, the, The creative, it was all about flavor stacking. So you know, what various combinations of Pringle chip flavors do you bring together to create these different flavors? And it was a, a really cool, interactive, custom unit. It was also the first time that a campaign like this was executed in a live, a premier live sporting event. So think about the number of people that tune into the Super Bowl. For this execution, we developed over 4,200 unique creative variations that we produced and delivered concurrently. And then we also were able to capture because that was delivered through um, CTV, we're able to capture engagement details. So that unit itself drove a little over a 6.4% engagement rate, which is about four four times higher than what we see on average. Um, And we also saw that the shoppable creative within the QR code was helping get closer to conversion or closer to a transaction because people were were clicking on that and then dropping into the the amazon storefront for Pringles super ambitious right 4200 different creative versions uh, but you know again it was it was very much driven by technology and in execution it was it was seamless right we We were able to execute well. The reaction and the response from audiences was really favorable. People were raving about how cool it was in social media. And and that's really big when you think about how hard it is to generate buzz in the crowded land of Super Bowl commercials. It was something that really stood out in in a powerful way.
3: Makes me want some Pringles.
2: Yeah, exactly. We it was nice. We had Pringles in the office for months. So I'm a flavor stacking pro. <laughs>
3: oh, that's pretty good. Okay. Before uh before we get to our lightning round here, um any any other thoughts on uh on personalization or or types of ads that are that are most likely to perform or or pieces of advice uh about about how to do this?
2: No, I mean I will say I think one thing that's really interesting, we always, you know, we're really big on data. So We do benchmarks every quarter. We have a dashboard called Innovate IQ, where every month we're sharing various trends um, on what's happening for, for different verticals in the market. I think one really cool thing that emerged last year is the concept of consumers starting to understand that interactivity is something that they can expect on the big screen. So people are used to being able to interact with creative on their mobile devices these days. Um, They're used to being able to interact with creative on their desktop devices. Um, But being able to actually interact with content and TV is a little bit newer. Um, But we did start to see some really interesting data and some trends that are showing that people are learning that, hey, this is a new behavior and I can start to interact and you know, I think over time, one of our, our hypotheses is that more and more people are going to get that they can use their remote control versus their, their mouse or their fingertip to start engaging with TV content and, you know, getting into more interactive, more immersive experiences and, and being able to to spend more time with advertisers. You know, and it's it's great for brands as well, because one of the things we look at when we serve interactive creative and connect to television is how much time are you earning with your cut with your consumers and what we saw last year is that on average an interactive creative spot earned an additional 83 seconds of time with your consumer and you know when you do the math and you think about the fact that the average spot is 30 seconds you know that's almost three times the amount of time that you're getting to spend with your customer simply because you're including an interactive element you're allowing a pause from that ad experience and then you're getting them to engage deeper with your brand and explore more of your content beyond what you could have fit into that traditional pre-roll 30-second spot
3: stephanie this is just awesome stuff um we're, we we got to have you back to uh to to talk more on on this stuff because it's uh it's that just so good and it's it's so cutting edge um But we got to get out of here. So let's get to our marketing trends, lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing on the world's number one CRM. That is Salesforce. Lightning round question. Stephanie, are you ready? I'm ready. What is your favorite place to go on a hike?
2: We go up to Evergreen. I'm in Denver. So we go up to Evergreen, and there's, I wouldn't say there's a favorite place, but we always just like to try different trails. And I've got my, I've got a little hiking backpack for my son. So uh, the mountains of Colorado.
3: If you weren't in marketing at all, what do you think you'd be doing?
2: I think that I would be an entrepreneur of some kind. I love building, I love creating. It's part of what drew me to marketing. So I, I would love to start something.
3: Is there one habit that you picked up in the last year? That you're going to keep going in 2021?
2: Uh, Keep going? Probably not because I picked up a ton of bad habits. Uh, The (laughs) habit I do not want to continue into 2021 is my daily Twix habit. So (laughs) I'm trying to uh, counteract some of my COVID couch behaviors.
3: (laughs) COVID couch. I haven't heard that. That's good. Um, Do you have a, uh, a, a podcast, a book, a TV show, anything like that you've been binging recently?
2: So we just finished watching the Mandalorian season two and now we're, we're on, we're on to um, WandaVision. So I'm a big, I'm a big Disney fan. I like the sci-fi.
3: What's your best advice for a first time head of marketing?
2: Invest in your people. Um, Surround yourself with people who are are smarter than you. Uh, I think sometimes people want to always be the smartest person in the world, in the room. And I've I've found that I'm always looking for people who are smarter than me because I think the the sum of the parts is what's most important. And I I want us all to make each other better.
3: Well, everybody, go check out innovid.com and 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 see all the different options there. Um, Stephanie, you're awesome. Thanks again for joining. Any uh, any so final funny. thoughts? Anything to plug?
2: No, thanks for having me. Again, you know, we talked about a lot of great data and insights here. We are very much a data-driven company. I'm a data-driven marketer. So um, check out our dashboard, Innovid IQ. You can find that on innovid.com. And uh, yeah, sign up to our newsletter. And as our, our new benchmarks, we've got global benchmarks coming out soon or available. Those will hit your inbox.
3: I love it. Thanks again. Take care.
2: Thank you. Take care.
1: Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey, Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing.